0: But this morning, I get to speak in week three of Sons and Daughters. Hopefully, you enjoyed last week uh, where Pastor Beck got to share uh, from her heart as a mom of the house, but also as an adoptive mom, the whole idea of the doctrine of adoption. So uh, week one, I spoke about how adoption is separate to rescue. Adoption is about relationship, is about building family, Uh, the rescue that God brings about in the Bible uh, is before the adoption, it is not part of adoption, all right? And so that's what we spoke about two weeks ago, and last week Pastor Beck spoke about how um, adoption uh, is not dependent on whether you are good enough, it is solely dependent on the fact that God has decided that He wants to bring you into family, how powerful is that? Today, I am going to share and teach, in a, um, and I'm probably a little bit conflicted because um, for, for me, this is something that is really, really important because of what we've gone through as a family in adopting Sam. Uh, uh, but it also has given me a real different look into what God wants to uh, uh, do in terms of family and in terms of, of how He relates to us as an adoptive father. And so I'm just gonna give it a go. And um, and you'll probably find that there's a lot of science, probably more psychology involved in this morning, but that is my thing, so I'm, I apologize in um, advance if it's um, if it's a bit like when's he going to bring the bible in well it's all biblical all right it's just that to get the concept across to you guys i'm going to need to uh, spend a bit of time uh, to lay a foundation and the good thing is that i'm saving the second half of this message for next week all right and so i'm not going to overwhelm you fingers crossed Um, if not there's always a podcast as well and you can go through this again Uh, but i want to talk to you about attachment theory has anyone ever heard of attachment theory before couple of people. Uh, attachment theory is um, a fantastic um, theory, and we'll talk a bit more about it, but how I came across it, or how I, I appreciated it a lot more, was um, actually through the adoption process, and during this uh, education and assessment process that we had to go through as adoptive parents, I signed up uh, to do, as part of my studies, uh, a week-long intensive and it was on the psychology of emotions. We had this practicing clinical psychologist as our lecturer, and, and I was totally enjoying the course, loved it, and I thought, you know what? Here's a clinical psychologist who was stuck in the room with me for the whole week. I'm gonna to talk to her about adoption, so I did. So during one of the breaks, I went up to her and said, Hey. Uh, my wife and I we are on this uh, journey of adoption and you know we're really excited but we also want to prepare ourselves as best as possible so have you got any resource have you got anything that you uh, could recommend to us and she said how much have you uh, done in terms of attachment theory and I was like oh you know, I've heard about it you know it's it's, it's cool <laughs> it's there and I was like You really want to get to know more about attachment theory and then she recommended me this book which is available in our Lyft library for lifters um and uh, is written by a couple of psychologists it's called why you do the things you do the secret to healthy relationships and this whole book is about attachment theory and um i read it and it blew my mind away it changed the way that I understood myself. It changed the way that I understood relationships um, because um, of something fundamental which is termed attachment theory. So, what attachment theory basically is, is, that, is a theory that states that the attachment that we have with our primary caregivers as a child impact, influence the way that we do relationships later on in life. The relationship that you have with your parents or caregivers, depending on what situation you grew up in, has massive impact on the way that you conduct your relationships later on in life. And what I've started to find is that if you don't reflect on the kind of attachment relationship with your parents and your primary caregivers, what tends to happen is that what happens in that sphere is just transported into future spheres. And that's just how it works. You can reflect on it and i believe that through the process of reflection you can actually take the really amazing healthy things that happen in your family but you can also find out because we are all humans and we all have family relationships that did not go amazingly and 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 you can actually go you know what i'm going to actively heal from some of these things and step into more healthy relationships in the future But attachment theory is all about this, what is called attachment. Attachment between uh, um, uh, the the child and the primary caregiver. Have you ever thought about this? Human beings are born extremely weird. They are born weird because when uh, an infant is born... Their muscles are not strong enough, except for their lungs that are able to, to still scream at you. Um, their bones are too uh, soft and malleable, so that you need to support every part of them somehow, weirdly. Uh, their heads are too big for them, so that they, they, they can't even lift their heads up. Uh, uh, they, they can't feed themselves. They can't clean themselves. They can't do anything. Humans are born completely dependent on a caregiver, completely. If a baby is left to its own devices, it will not learn how to walk. It will not even survive more than probably a couple of days. A baby is not meant to be independent, right? Anyone want to have a debate with me about this point? I think it's pretty obvious that when you have a baby, the baby is useless, right? The baby actually is a drain on a parent's resources, right? All they do is cry, sleep, eat, poop. I mean, now that my son's 18 months old, it still feels the same, except there's probably a lot more screaming throughout the day for various reasons. Um, but a child is not born independent. And I think God designed it that way. God did not design us to be born for independence, God actually created us to be born so useless that we would need parents in our lives. And we would need a primary caregiver or caregivers to be a part of our lives in order to meet our needs. And that's where attachment theory comes in. Attachment theory is about how the needs, how your needs are met as an infant has a huge bearing on the kind of relationships uh, that you then build in your family and therefore the relationships that you build later in life. In fact, what happens, um, no, uh, before I go there, so, so for, 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 for me as a, a novice dad of just over a year, uh, I learned very quickly that parents need to have mental checklists. Any parent here understand what I'm talking about? You have this like checklist in your mind. Like, literally, in my mind, is like it's, it's a bunch of, um, of points that I quickly flick through. So whenever Sam would cry, right, and say, so, you know, he cries. That's what a baby does. They cry. And when they cry, the parent goes to the child and immediately brings up the checklist in their mind. So I think, has Sam been fed? Yes, Sam fed. Tick, check. Next, is he, uh, has he uh, um, um, proved himself and is therefore uncomfortable? Check. Nope. He's all good. Is he too hot? No, he's all good. Is he too cold? Check. And somewhere along the line, after a number of checks, there's this checkbox that goes, ask his mum. (laughs) That's what dads do, right? This is natural for us. We go like, all right, now start to get frustrated and call out, Beck, where are you? What is wrong with our son? I do not know what else he needs. There was this moment probably a couple of months into our transition with Sam and, and he was just crying nonstop. We did not know what to do and both of us were literally sharing the checklist. Normally it's a mental thing, go, 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 do it all. But we, we, we were so, we did not know what was going on with Sam and so we literally were sharing it so that we could make sure that we didn't miss any of these checkpoints. And so we're like, yes, it's been fed. He's not, he, uh, he, he doesn't need to be burped. He, he's not teasing, he's not, this, he's not that. And, and we were like, oh, we were just like, come on, Sam, settle, just settle, just settle, just settle. We, we can't, we're like, there must be another checkpoint. There must be another checkpoint in our heads. We did not know how to meet our Sam's needs in that moment. And suddenly it was like a bolt of lightning. Beck just suddenly went, we, we use modern cloth nappies. Um, and so they have buttons rather than just this. Velcro, I don't know, is Velcro? You call it Velcro? Yeah, rather, Velcro, they're actually buttons that you fix. And suddenly, Beck just had this thought, she's like, I put his nappies on too tight. Literally, there was just this, she's like, I've put his nappies on too tight. And this was after probably about 10 minutes of crying. We were like exhausted, the checklist about 100 times. And then suddenly she went, I put the nappies on too tight. We checked it, they were on one setting too tight. We released uh, the pressure and he stopped crying. So from then on, we had one more item on our checklist. <laughs> Seriously, for the next few months, we were, every time we couldn't really see, them, is his nappy's onto the, I checked it. <laughs> that was just, that's what parents do. We have this checklist in our mind because what the parents are trying to do is to meet the needs of a child. That is how attachment forms at the beginning of our lives. When we have a need, we cry out, and uh, our parents meet those needs. And that is the basis of attachment. Uh, The the basis of attachment then helps us to understand our world. And so in this book, um, the authors then help unpack attachment theory by saying that attachment theory uh, answers four key questions in our lives four questions. They're broken up into two separate uh, uh, categories. One is the category of self and one is the category of others. In the category of self, we have these two questions, and I think I've got a slide, you can see that. Uh, in, in, in relation to the self, an infant, a child, is learning in that moment, am I worthy of being loved? And number two, am I able to do what I need to do to get the love slash the needs that I have met. So what this looks like is for a child uh, as an infant, even though they do not have any thoughts, uh, their, 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 their um, what do you call it, prefrontal cortex, if you want to call it that, hasn't been developed yet. And so they're just experiencing lots of emotions. And so with their body sensations, when they're hungry, when they're in pain, when they're cold, when they're whatever it is that they're feeling, it just goes straight and they cry because there's a need and when they cry and the caregiver is there to meet the need, is actually answering those questions. It is saying to this baby, you are loved, worthy of love, and when you cry, you will have your needs met. That's in a very simple infant form of attachment. And then the child will then also be forming an understanding about how others work. And so there's the Others dimension, which is are other people reliable and trustworthy, and are people accessible and willing to respond to me when I need them. This is where adoption um, uh, challenges these questions a lot more. And, and let me uh, explain this to you. So, uh, when Sam was um, born, a couple of days after his birth, he was uh, re- let's use the word relinquish. His his birth mom relinquished him and he was then placed with a pre doctor foster carer. Some people say that's too young for him to know what was going on. No, 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 he knows. He might not know the way that we know in our thoughts, but he knew in his emotions. He knew, like, like there's studies that show that while still in their womb, uh, a child knows their mum's voice is able to respond to their mom's voice while still in the womb. The, the child has all their needs met, in uh, the wonderful body of his mom or her mom, who's able to give all nutrients, all sustenance, all security, all safety, while carrying like a, a joey in a pouch. Uh, that's all that's happening in there, and over the nine months, a bond, attachment is formed. And so when Sam was then um, no longer with his birth mother, Those questions of, I depended on this woman whose voice, whose possible smell, who I don't know exactly how it all is because we can't ask babies what they remember of their mums at that stage, but whatever was familiar, whatever was comfortable, whatever was secure for him, was no longer available for him, and so that attachment was broken, And he goes to his pre adoptive foster carers. And um, uh, while we did study and we did learn that there was going to be this family that we would be interacting with in uh, the transition period, I never knew how amazing these people are. Uh, I've now met a couple of uh, pre adoptive foster carers. One is Sam's uh, uh, foster family and and another uh, lady who's been involved. And these people are trained in attachment theory, they are trained in loving a child, and to think that these people know that this child's only going to be in their family for a number of months, and yet the amount of care and love that they give was exceptional. To the point where, when we first met this family and we spent a couple of days, we literally went to their house for over a week, um, learning to uh, well, learning about Sam's needs and how he would call out and all that kind of stuff. But also just to build an attachment with him uh, over that period of time. And um, we we saw the amount of love that he received in that family. And to be honest, Beck and I uh, uh, were were kind of concerned <laughs> because we were like, I don't know, if we know how to care for Sam as well as these guys do. These guys were amazing. This family was absolutely full of love. And and they did say, look, it's always sad, but it's bittersweet because we know that we've not been in this process to care for Sam for the rest of his life, but we could hold him, steward his life for the number of months that he's with us and love him as best as possible to let him know that the world is full of people who will care for him. How powerful is that? And so Sam after being with them for about 4 months comes into our care. And so twice now in his 4 months of life he has already experienced that the people that he most associated with security, with provision, with the meeting of his needs was broken. How do you think he answers that question of are people reliable and trustworthy? I'm not talking about a 25-year-old who has a great understanding of how the world works and is able to make sense of things. I'm talking about a four-month-old who is a little ball of emotion, who is a little life that hasn't got much experience, and already twice in his life, he suffered the loss of his primary caregivers. So this is what attachment theory is all about. Attachment theory then puts forward that perhaps someone like Sam would experience attachment in a very different way to what is the norm, if you will. That he will not be able to answer that question, are people reliable and trustworthy as easily as someone who perhaps had a a more, if you will, normal family. I use the word normal not in the sense that It's it's the standard, but in the sense that most of us experience having primary caregivers that did not change in our lives. Some of us have, and you will understand what I'm talking about more. But so you have it. Can we put those questions back up, Nebs? Are people reliable and trustworthy? So for someone like Sam, he might not answer in the affirmative for that question. And what then happens is that he might carry, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe there's a certain ambivalence about that question. Can I trust other people? Are they always going to be there for me? And if he has that sense that I don't really know if people are reliable and trustworthy, then it's going to affect the way that he relates to people later on in life. The truth is, all of us have got answers to those four questions. The fact that you are sitting in this room and you know how to understand the language that I'm speaking, you are thinking human beings, you already have got answers to those four questions. But the truth is, most of us don't even know what those answers are. Most of us haven't gone through and thought about how we have already decided on an answer to those questions. And I'm not just saying that your caregivers are the only ones that give you a sense of how um, the world works, Those four questions are uh, answered by your primary caregivers, but is also answered according to your culture. It can be disrupted by uh, serious circumstances, traumatic circumstances. Attachment theory is not just based on your uh, uh, parents, but is based on all the circumstances as you grow up. And so where you are at right now, most of you are above the age of seven, I believe. And so you have got answers to those four questions. But have you thought about, have you thought about what your answers are? See, as I started to read this book and as I worked through all the different attachment styles and I I started to understand uh, a lot more about how I have been uh, built to answer all the experiences that inform those questions, I discovered some really interesting things about myself. You see, in the self-dimension, if we can go back to those questions, the second question in particular for people who grew up in Singapore uh, where there's a high drive for success uh, is, uh, in, uh, in Singaporean terms, Singapore is a meritocracy, which means that it's built purely on who has achieved much, will then be rewarded much. In Singapore, it meant, in particular, academic achievements. For example, oh, I shouldn't be giving national secrets out, I might get assassinated tomorrow. Um, But you know, I'll just go there, I'm brave, I'm strong, the world is full of trustworthy and reliable people. You know, in the Singapore army, if you want to be an officer, you go get yourself a degree. Even if you're the most unfit person in your whole platoon, in basic training, if you got a degree, they'll say, do you want to be an officer? Because apparently, if you got a degree, it means you're smarter than everyone else. This is how it works. I was, I had a cert for at that point at 18 years old, which was more than all my other platoon mates, and they were saying that I should go for being a specialist because I'm more educated and therefore more capable at killing other people. At least that's how uh, it's supposed to work in Singapore, it's based on merit. And so, am I able to do what I need to do to get the love that I need, to have the needs in my life met? In Singapore, according to the culture, I needed to earn love. I needed to earn respect. I needed to earn uh, uh, someone else wanting to relate to me. Academic achievement in Singapore is so high that I thought that relationships were built on whether a person is smart enough or not to be in relationships. I never knew that that was something that consumed me for the early stages of my life, but I could see after reading this book and reflecting that even according to that question and how I answered it, that was how I related to God. That i needed to earn his love that i needed to be smart enough achieved enough in order for me to be welcomed into his arms and so culture because my parents didn't, didn't really raise me with that whole idea of meritocracy um, but definitely the culture informed how i saw myself in alignment with other people for sam and he first transitioned into our care the first few weeks were especially hard, even though he was really young, and, and now um, as we've gone on a, the journey and we've heard from other people about their transition journeys, we've got friends who adopted from another country, uh, a little one who was uh, older than Sam at the time of, attach, uh, uh, sorry, at the time of transition, and um, the transition for them was, was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. They... they um, talked about how they were ready to throw in the towel at many points in the transition phase because uh, their adoptive child um, did not like them, and they did not like him back. Because who likes a child that screams and cries 24-7? Who likes a child that will uh, not uh, go according to how the world is supposed to work? Um, And that was their experience, and it was a lot more traumatic than... um, Sam's into our life, but it wasn't easy. In the first couple of weeks of life, there were moments where he literally seemed to be having that question at the forefront of his mind in some way, shape, or form, and he was seemingly asking us, are you going to keep staying here? Are you going to keep loving me even though I'm being an absolute punk? I don't think he was thinking that, but that's exactly what he was doing. Can I trust that these people are going to continue to care for me even when i have been an absolute brat? Can I trust that these people are not going to par me off to the next family when they are done with me? Can I trust that these are going to be my forever parents? Can I trust that these people have got what it takes to love me in all ways, shape and form? And it was like he was literally asking those questions with every cry that he gave. Every day he would be figuring out whether we were going to continue to stay in his life or not. I've heard stories of other adoptees who even after finding a forever home, they would continue to pack their bags every single night because they weren't sure whether they were going to move to the next family the next day and they wanted to make sure that they had all their stuff. I've heard about other kids who... Not being sure how this new family would provide for them would make sure that every mealtime they would eat every single scrap of fruit even to the point of being sick because they weren't sure whether these people were trustworthy and reliable or not. And it's kind of strange for us as adoptive parents because we know what we want to provide, right? We know the kind of love and the commitment that we are willing to give. We signed up for this. We know that we are going to care for Sam, for... um, the rest of his life until he's an adult, and then our relationship will somehow shift and change as all families do. But we signed up to do this. We signed up to be committed to him. So it is strange for me as an adoptive parent on my side of the story going, why do you not trust me? But the more I understood attachment theory, the more I started to understand that that is how relationships form. That is how Security forms. That is how things work. If I just simply because I say I love you, Sam doesn't mean Sam doesn't receive the message, oh yeah, dad loves me, of course. You know, in the first few days of life I can say I love you, Sam, and let's see. Let's see what it's like. Let's see what it's gonna be like when I'm a teenager. When I push every single button three times, trying to get a reaction from you. And so there was these things that I needed to learn. And as I thought about it, I thought about how God chooses to use the word adoption in how He relates to us. I find it really interesting that God doesn't choose to say that He's simply receiving the prodigal child home. You know, that's not the picture, that is one of the pictures, but that is not the only picture that the Bible uses. The Bible also uses the picture of adoption. Why does God choose to use the picture of adoption? Because I think God understands that we all need to grow in our attachment to Him. I think God understands that we are not wired to immediately trust Him. And I think that that is a beautiful thing that God has not just simply said, I love you, take it or leave it. But that God says, I've adopted you and I will continue to show up in your life until you learn to trust me. You see, that was what, the only thing that Beck and I could do after we went through our checklist and Sam was still crying, there were some days where we went, this is just the adoption stuff. We literally would say, I think it's just adoption. What does that mean? We continue to stay and show up to where Sam was at. He was crying in our ears. He did not want to be put down. He did not want his food. He did not want his water. He didn't want anything that we could offer him. But we chose to continue to show up in his life. And I think that's the amazing picture that God wants us to understand about how he relates to us he's not expecting that you understand how to trust him straight away but he's expecting that by continuing to show up in your life that you're going to learn how to trust him and i believe that that is something that we need to understand in our christian lives that god is not a god who simply says i trust i love you and therefore you receive it and you're supposed to be immediately trusting of him He understands the baggage and the background that you come from. He understands all that you've been through. And so if you are in this room today and you say, Nate, when I look at those questions that you put up, I don't see a very secure attachment for myself. I don't see myself as uh, someone who is worthy of love or or, or knows how to to ask for love and to receive love or I don't know whether people are reliable and always going to be there for me. I can't answer in the affirmative to those questions and when it comes to god it's the same thing i don't know whether i'm worthy of his love i don't know whether i can do enough to receive his love and i don't know whether he's going to be reliable and trustworthy based on my experiences so what do i do now what do i do if i do not have that kind of uh, experience of attachment does that mean that i cannot attach to god i'm here to tell you if those are the questions in your mind you're in a great place You're in a great place because I think those questions need to be asked. You're in a great place because I believe that you need to explore those questions for yourself. I believe that you're in a great place because you are now having an understanding of how am I actually attaching to God? I love that God doesn't relate to us purely through our thoughts I love that God relates to us through the forum of relationship, and He desires to use relationship to bring healing to our lives. Let me show you something in the Bible. In Psalm 68, it says this in verses 5 to 6, "'A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families.'" I've loved this verse for a long time because I, I think that's been something that I felt uh, God calling, beckoned myself to, to be one of those families um, uh, for, um, for adoption. And I, I started looking to this and I thought that the word lonely was a bit of an interesting choice of word. And I was like, God says the lonely in families. What is this all about? And I found out that the Hebrew word for lonely actually has dual meanings. And both of those meanings work in this verse. One of those meanings is that when uh, lonely means uh, isolated, solitary. It is uh, in, in some way, shape, or form desolated because everything else around you has been taken from you. And so you're in a place of great loss, you're in a place where you are feeling like you have been left alone. That is one of the meanings of the word lonely. But the other meaning of the word lonely is that because you are alone, you are set aside, you are also unique and therefore precious. And so when I was looking at that and I was doing the, the research, I was looking. It was like God sets the desolate in families, but God also sets the precious in families. I thought it was really interesting that God's not just looking for people who feel lonely, who feel desolated, who feel as though uh, no one is there for them. But God wants to place the pressures those who are uh, unique and, and and therefore full of potential and full of promise. He takes those and he places them in family. What I believe is that what God is trying to put in here is that you might be desolated, you might be isolated, but you are always. precious and by being in family the preciousness is what is going to come to the fore god uses families to heal us god uses families to heal us and so i want to put forward to you as lift church that we are not a church that simply meets on a Sunday for someone to give a, a nice talk a, a well researched uh, a message and for you to go home and say i've done my religious duty for the week off i go i hope that our church will be a place that is family a place where God can trust to put both the precious but also the desolate in this place. Those who are asking those questions, am I worthy of love? Am I able to get the love that I need? Are people trustworthy, reliable, and able to provide for me? I want to have those people in this church. I want to have those who are asking those questions in this church because that is the vehicle for healing. That is the vehicle for us to understand that yes, I am worthy of love. Yes, I can receive the love that I need. And yes, people are trustworthy. And ultimately, through the healing power of family, we start to understand that God is saying that He loves us, that He hears our every cry, and that He's able to meet our every need. I want to read one more verse to you. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loves us. I'm going to focus on the first portion, verse 18 in particular, next week. But I just want you to look at this. We love because He first loved us. You know, I used to think about this in terms of a transaction. That when we love in our lives, is because we have received love, and so we are therefore commanded to love. Make sense? Anyone thought about this verse like that before? Or am I the only weird one? Maybe it's because I'm brought up in Singapore, and that's how things work. I give you something, you give me something back, lah. This is how it works. You know, and, and so that's how I thought about this verse. But I started to realize after going through the educational process and adoption that we love because He first loves us is not a transaction. It actually talks about relationship. See, one of the most powerful things about attachment theory is that we learn how to do things in our lives because of how we've seen it work in our families. And so many of us are in places have had experiences where we don't feel loved, where we haven't experienced perfect love. We haven't experienced unconditional love we have an experience belonging we have an experience all of those amazing things that we are meant to have growing up and because of that we don't know how to love i remember having a conversation with someone who had a pretty difficult background and this person was saying nate i desperately want healthy relationships but I don't know what they look like. I don't know what they look like. And so I keep going from relationship to relationship and I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what I'm looking for. I keep trying to find a place of belonging, a place where I'm loved, but is this it? Is this what it looks like? Is that what it looks like? that person actually sat down and listened to me, it must be love. That person bought me a drink, oh, it must be love. And our families give us an understanding of when love is love. And unfortunately for many people, that answer hasn't been given very clearly or very healthily. And so when God says, we love because He first loves us, is talking about a healing attachment. Is talking about when we understand and when we are able to be open to His love, we start to understand what love truly looks like. It doesn't look like someone who is playing nice in order to get something from us. It doesn't look like a transaction. It doesn't look like manipulation. It doesn't look like some kind of exchange. It looks like the unconditional love of a father who will go to the ends of the world to bring us close to Him. For us to understand we love because He first loved us, we need to be in an attachment relationship with God where we are receiving His love. And out of that place of understanding what that is, is then being able to love the way that God has loved us. See, that is a process. That doesn't happen overnight. Even for our little four-month-old at that time, it took him a few weeks and then over the course of his life is probably going to rear its head every now and then beck and i are preparing ourselves to have conversations that he's going to ask why did you adopt me but then also questions of like why was i relinquished why did i not have the choice to stay with my birth mom what is that all about those are going to be tough days there might be some tears along the way But our choice is there to keep showing up and this morning as we if you can't get the band up i've thought about how to finish off this morning and i hope that i presented enough of a picture of what god wants to do next week we'll talk more about how god wants to form this attachment with each and every one of us what that means what that looks like how we respond to it but this morning i thought that what we could do is to actually have communion together I love that God chose such a relational symbol. Hear this. I love that God chose such a relational symbol for us to remember what He's done for us. You know, sometimes, and rightly so, we talk about communion in terms of God's sacrifice to bring us As sinners to a place of righteousness and how important that is but I also want to focus on today that it was a meal it was a meal that was shared amongst family it was a meal that was shared amongst those that Jesus knew was closest to him and he said keep doing this keep turning up to family Keep rocking up into a relationship. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not just having some kind of wine and some kind of biscuit or bread and having it in the the isolation of your home. No, no, no. It's called communion. It was the last supper, celebrated a feast together with family. And as we have communion this morning, yes, Jesus died for you so precious, so beautiful, something we don't forget. But Jesus also places you in family. We're having communion this morning together as family. How does that make you feel? For some of you, you don't know whether you like that or not. For some of you, you don't like that community aspect of communion. And I can understand why. I've heard enough stories to know that not everyone has had the blessing of having a people around you that love you and care for you the way that you should be cared and loved for. But can I ask that you make a commitment this morning? I'm not just having an individual, personal, isolated faith. I'm having a community-based, a family-based faith where I understand how to open up and how to receive the care and the love that God intends me to have. As you drink that cup, as you eat that cracker, it is a a statement, it is you making a commitment to say, God, I want to receive love the way that you intend me to receive even though right now it might be uncomfortable, even though right now I don't know what it's supposed to look like, even though right now every fiber within me wants to run, but right now in this moment, help me to open up. So as you prepare, I want you to reflect. Maybe think about those questions that I had put up earlier. Am I worthy of love? Am I able to do the things I need to do to receive the love that I need? Are people reliable and trustworthy? Are they able to show up for my needs? And I hope that in this moment, you can at least pray this. God, help me to find security in you. So every eye closed, every head bow. You have this moment between you, between God. A father to the fatherless. God places the lonely in families. God, I pray of every person here. And no matter what they experience, no matter what trauma they have experienced and survived in this life, I pray to God that in this moment they will be willing to open up to receive the love and the care that you want to give them. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you take the bread and the cup? And then, when you're done, can you please stand this morning? The band's about to lead us back in this song again. And I absolutely love this song. I love that picture. You loved my whole heart through. You loved my whole heart through. How beautiful is that? But this morning, I do feel that God really wants to bring healing. And there was one thing that I felt this morning in preparation was that I believe that some people just need to actually take, take a step and to say, I actually need that. And it was quite of crazy because as I was reading this book and I was understanding a lot more about how I work, I realized that through circumstances in my life, I didn't really want to trust people. I didn't really want to let people close because I thought that people were not always reliable and trustworthy with my heart. And so I thought that being protective was being wise. And then I read this book and I realized that that's not how God has created me. And then I needed to learn how to reframe that thought. I needed to learn how to change the way that I saw people. And I remember that for a number of days, I just had to make a simple confession to God. I said, God, you created me for relationship and I desire relationships. Not just, I'm not talking about romantic styles. I'm talking about having someone close, having family around me. I realized that that was not something I was comfortable with, but it was something that I needed to work on. And so I started to confess God, I want, I want family. You created me for relationships. For some of you, even saying that is going to be extremely scary. Even making that confession, say, I want friends. I want people in my life. It freaks the heck out of you and you want to run from this place, but you're still here and you're still all right. And I pray that you can see that this is a safe place where God is placing the lonely in families for the purposes of healing and restoration, for you to understand your preciousness and your belongingness in this world. So if you would like prayer this morning, if you would like to take a step and say, I need to work on this and I want someone to be there and to pray with me and to hold me in this moment, can I just encourage you to step forward so that we can pray with you, we can stand with you as a team, as perhaps you, if you allow us to be your family. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna close off our gathering and then the band's gonna lead us in this song if you will like prayer, what I've been saying is stirring in your heart and I know the Holy Spirit is here, I know that He's at work, can I ask you to be so brave as to step forward this morning and we'll be here to pray with you. Dear God, I thank you that you have created us for relationship. I thank you that you have created us to be in relationship with you and to be in relationship with your family, the church. I pray to God that this morning, nerves might have been touched. Open wounds might have been have been touched this morning as well. And I know that there might be pain in this room, but I believe as well, God, that there is healing and that there's restoration. And so, God, I pray that you would stir on the hearts of those who need to take this step and to find healing and restoration this morning. God, I pray that as we walk from this place, that we will not just have checked off on our list, that we've attended church and it's all good. I pray that we walk from here trying to understand and to see how you are showing up in our lives on a daily basis. We thank you that you are love, that you are perfect love, and I pray that we get to grow in our understanding and grow in our relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in Your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at the Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.